This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. You're listening to a reunion radio edition of Knowledge at Wharton, live from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania during Alumni Weekend. Here again is Dan Loney. Welcome back. Reunion Radio here on Knowledge at Wharton on Sirius XM 132 on this Friday, May the 17th. Just a reminder, we're back with you tomorrow on a Saturday. Working extra time this week, folks. We'll be with you live 10 a.m. Eastern time, 7 a.m. out on the West Coast with more Wharton alumni. We'll tell you more about uh, who will be joining us tomorrow coming up in just a little while. Also a reminder, uh, make sure that you stop by and visit the Knowledge at Wharton website, which has a variety of stories making news from around the globe, knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. And when you get there, make sure that you sign up for the newsletters, which come at you every Wednesday and Friday. So the latest edition of that newsletter is already in your inbox today, knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Well, is healthcare fair to all who need to use it? It is in many cases, but it is the goal of many people within the industry to try and level the playing field for everyone to be able to receive high-quality healthcare at a reasonable cost. That is also the end result for companies as well due to the cost that they have to incur. It ends up being an industry that has a, a wide range of issues dealing with right now, many people studying them, and many ways that it can be changed for the positive moving forward. Rebecca Madsen is the Chief Consumer Officer for United Healthcare. She also received her MBA from Wharton back in 1994, and she joins us right now. Rebecca, welcome. Thank you so much for having me on my 25th uh, Business School Reunion Weekend. Exactly right. So it is a special reunion for you as well. Indeed. Uh, what, what are the greatest areas of focus you think right now to really tackle some of the affordability issues around healthcare at this point? Well, let's talk a little bit about um, understanding why costs in healthcare are going up. And, you know, what you said at the outset is exactly correct. Our nation will spend about 20% of its GDP on healthcare by 2025, which is more than any other country. And there's a couple reasons why the costs are going up. Um, the first is that if you think about premium increase in the cost of care is driven by a couple of things. The first is how much healthcare people use, and the second is the cost of the care, including physicians, hospitals, pharmaceuticals, diagnostics, etc. But also our population is becoming older, so about 20% of the population will be over 65 by 2025, which is up from 15% today. They're getting more chronic conditions. Right. And then if we also look at our people, a third of the population is overweight and a third is obese. So how do we take all these growing trends and really try and figure out how to come up with ways as an industry to address them? So really, then, then what are the changes that, that need to be considered, need to be made to be able to, to to try and tackle, which you know is it's a it's a massive issue right now. Yeah, absolutely. And if you if you look at all the different um, aspects of healthcare, for example, consumers, forty three percent of people are now in high deductible health plans. So individuals have a role in understanding their costs and making smart choices and staying healthy. 
Um, if you look at our role as an insurance provider and what I do for my job, it's how do we understand people's behaviors, but how do we enable them with information, with tools, and then how do we work with providers to connect across the healthcare system? So, for example, we have something called an individual health record. How does that provider see the full range of activity that an individual has done and engaged in their journey of healthcare so that they are no drug-to-drug interactions, that they can diagnose appropriately. And then the last two pieces, our employers have a role in providing wellness programs and HSEs and educating their employees. And then, of course, the provider, the center of healthcare of how they practice cost-effective care, prescribe according to formularies, make sure that they're encouraging their patients to be compliant and to stay healthy. So lots of aspects there all together. Well, and I had read that, that I guess United Healthcare had started a program uh, called Motion, and, and they were working uh, with uh, Apple to a degree uh, for company wellness programs who, who meet and exceed their goals. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great program, and it's it's basically a program where people have access to wearable devices, and they can earn over $1,000 per year in financial incentives by meeting daily walking goals. And um, people have walked who have been engaged in the program through us, 272 billion steps. They've earned $43 million in rewards. But the best benefit is really it helps people stay healthy. It helps employers lower absenteeism and manage their costs, and it really is a creative way to take on the fact that so many people, 27% of employees now actually own a wearable device. So how important is that incentive piece, do you believe, to the overall kind of path that, that companies and health insurance companies would like to see people actually take? Yeah, absolutely. We know that money talks and financial incentives are becoming more and more widespread. We know 70% of employers offer wellness programs. There's an average of $742 in incentives. In this particular program, people have really responded to the fact that not only are they taking action, but that the financial incentive is there, the $1,000, and that motivates a lot of difference in behavior of people engaging. Why is it, are you able to put your finger on the, the, the issue of having to have that motivation? Because I think that's a, a question that has probably been being asked and looked at by a variety of companies, including United, about the need to have this kind of motivation in the first place. Yeah, we know that, for example, things like 70% of people are interested in taking steps to improve their health, but 63% are not willing to spend an hour a day on their well-being. And so when you look at that, you say, okay, people are interested, but they're actually not engaging. And why is that? Well, one is that time's an issue. So things like worksite wellness programs are a great idea if you give people the time, if you give them healthy choices in their vending machines, um, and then really focusing on how you can connect the different parts of the healthcare system so that you encourage people, you show them the results they're getting. So like wellness programs, like we've been talking about, 30% of people said it helped them detect a disease, 56% reported fewer sick days. So I think if you take the combination of making it easy, giving people results, and giving them financial incentives, that triumvirate seems to be getting more people engaged.
We're joined by, by Rebecca Madsen, who's Chief Consumer Officer for United Healthcare, uh, also Wharton MBA grad uh, from 1994. You're listening to Knowledge of Wharton here on Sirius XM 132, business radio powered by the Wharton School. So with the with the motion program and obviously the connection you're having with the variety of uh, of consumers in that point, after doing the program, how do you keep that connection moving forward to keep them on that path? It's a, it's a great question, and so much of engaging people is really the core of how do we get crack this nut in healthcare? How do we get people to engage, to get the information, to take activity? And what's neat about the motion program that you refer to is not just getting people started in it, but how do we consistently remind them to move throughout the day? So how do we give them little reminders to say, hey, time to get up and walk? How do we show actual activity patterns but reinforce positive efforts? And so by really, you have to stay on top of people to really make sure you're giving them little bits of information, not too much, reminding them to do things, and helping them feel like they're getting success. I think if you look at people's weight loss journeys, and like I said, two-thirds of the country is overweight or obese, I think people get frustrated by having little achievable goals. They're more likely to stay engaged. You've also been involved in the data and analytics side as well, and obviously this is is a a component to what you are doing right now with with trying to help out consumers is the information that that you're able to garner on consumers and, and be able to try and change these outcomes. Absolutely. And, you know, data and analytics is a big focus of where we are in healthcare. And I kind of look at it in two ways. One is, how do you understand people? How do you understand their behaviors? How do you understand what motivates them? And how do you give them the tools and information to make smart choices when they're engaged? And the second part is what we can see. We see millions of interactions across the system in real time, checkups, ER visits, medication history. How do we take that data and then be able to look at, are we finding better sites of care? Are we helping people transition out of the hospital faster? And then how do you put all that together and serve that information up? So, for example, to the employer, we have something called healthcare manager. It's a tool that they can understand their population and say, for example, is there a higher degree of cardiovascular disease in that population? And how can they get engaged with their employees as well? Obviously, many people are, are are focused on their out-of-pocket costs that, that they have to pay out in terms of health care. What are the things that, that you recommend people consider in terms of trying to manage all of those out-of-pocket costs? It's a, a perfect question of what people can do, and there's a couple things. One is look and see if you have a health savings account. It offers a triple tax advantage. It's deposited pre-tax from your paycheck. It accrues tax-free and withdrawals are not taxed, and you can use it for any medical expense that you have. Second is stay in network. Um, It seems like something obvious and simple, but two-thirds of people go out of network and don't know that they are, Mm -hmm. and 42% spend less than an hour actually seeing if their doctor's in network. And then, like we talked about, staying healthy and following the guidance of your providers, being compliant with programs, and really taking advantage of wellness programs. That that issue surrounding out of uh, a patient going out of network to get care that that's communication that that's the communication piece between doctor and and patient or healthcare provider and patient that that seemingly needs to continue to develop so you can avoid some of those issues correct 
Absolutely. And we know telling somebody when they join a plan and saying, hey, make sure that you look, understand all your providers. If your doctor tells you to go someplace and that provider has 10 different insurance carriers, they may refer you and not even know that that provider's at a network. So we do things right when we find out. We have something called eHub. And when we find out that an out-of-network provider has done an eligibility check, we will tell that member and say, hey, you may be going out of network. It may cost you more. Yep. We're happy to help you find an in-network provider. Rebecca Madsen is Chief Consumer Officer for United Healthcare, also Wharton grad from 1994. You're listening to Knowledge of Wharton here on Sirius XM 132, business radio powered by the Wharton School. But w- with this this increased use of, of data and analytics in healthcare, mm-hmm. where are the biggest changes then still yet to develop? Because Part of this, obviously, is also dealing with the overall cost of the industry as well. And I think by use, the, the greater use of data analytics, the hope is not only are you proving outcomes, but you're also uh, working on the financial piece as well. Yeah, I mean, so much of where we see the future of healthcare going, there's a lot around the connectivity of healthcare, uh, making sure that all the pieces that you've been talking about are all interrelated. They all see what one another is doing. And there's a lot around that side of healthcare to make sure that there's not decisions that are made that are cost ineffective, that we're really focused on quality. Um, you asked sort of where I see the industry going. There's, when we've talked about all this stuff, we've talked so much about the foundational elements, but there's something we call social determinants of health, that it's more than just the, the cost of getting the care. It's the behavioral, it's the social services, it's how people get access. Yeah. And how, for example, do you get somebody to the doctor that is, you know, 75 years old and can't get there on their own? And that's going to become an increasingly important part as we look forward. How important has the the programs like the Affordable Care Act been for the build out of healthcare and also this recognition uh, of the potential of very good programs being out there to be able to provide healthcare for people that may not have the resources as much as some people. Yeah, I'm, healthcare, healthcare is an always evolving industry, and the foundational thing is how you give people greater access better quality and greater affordability. And so more people having access is better. Obviously, we want more people to have coverage. We want people to be engaged in the healthcare system and to be able to have that more uh, cost-effective care and higher quality care. So we support programs that, you know, enable that to happen. What are the uh, the most important you th- things you believe that consumers need to consider when they do get to the open enrollment period for healthcare? Yeah, there's sort of four categories. I think we've hit on a lot of the cost category and just paying attention. Second is looking at what's changed year to year. People often click a box. They spend less than an hour. So make sure that your plan is still meeting your needs and looks what's changed for you. Right. Um, making sure your doctor's in network and also looking at taking advantage of things such as telehealth and virtual visits and other programs that are new and coming into the industry that are more cost-effective and convenient care. And those are the programs that have the, the uh, it feels like, and we've talked about them on this show a couple of times, the greatest transformative power for healthcare moving forward, especially when you're talking about the ability of somebody being able to reach a doctor from their computer screen and be able to gain information. And obviously all the different wearable devices that are out there and that information going directly to, do- to doctors as well. 
Absolutely. And virtual visits is something I'm very excited about. Um, you know, 43% of people say they're likely to use it, but it's a great option for people who are busy. If you have to access care when, you know, after hours, if you're not able to see a provider because you live in a rural area. So you talked before about access. It really opens up to access for many people and convenience, but it's also less expensive. A virtual visit costs on average around $50. And if you look at going to the emergency room, it's $685 on average. So a real cost savings and a way to kind of transform using data and and technology to give people more access and and enhanced opportunities for care. How prevalent is that being used right now, telehealth, in in medical systems? And how much further do we have to go to have fairly significant overall coverage of the use of of, uh, of virtual visits across the United States? Well, interestingly, um, CPT codes, which is the way that providers get paid, yeah. there are some new CPT codes that just came out this year that recognize telehealth and remote patient monitoring. Right. And so that's really shown how the industry is now saying, hey, this is something that we have to pay for. This is something that's really becoming a growing trend. Many insurance providers offer it, and many people are getting more engaged in it. Obviously, it's not as significant as going to a provider and going to their traditional way of seeing a doctor. Doctor. But to me, the fact that the CPT code is now available really shows the growth of virtual visits in the industry. And, and it's still going to be a case where some visits are going to be a necessity to see the doctor over a visit that, that may be able to be done via, uh, via your computer screen. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, while there's technology now that's pretty amazing where you can, you know, look in somebody's ear remotely, we know that it's really that doctor-patient interaction that's the heart of healthcare. If you need to be palpitated, if you're having, you know, a chronic condition, if you're having an acute episode, it doesn't intend to replace that relationship. It tends to augment it for people who maybe had a cough and wouldn't go to the doctor and wait till they had full-blown bronchitis. They can now get access and that information is fed back to their referring physician or primary care doctor. We're joined by Rebecca Madsen, who is the Chief Consumer Officer for United Healthcare. Uh, we're talking about the consumer side of healthcare right now here on our reunion radio special here on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. What are the areas that, that, that you are starting to hear that are going to be the next areas of focus for the consumer side of healthcare? Yeah, there's a lot around digital, and we've talked about yeah. that um, extensively on this interview, but there's a huge focus on people really engaging. If you looked, you know, a third of people now search for when they have a healthcare condition, that's more than double than it was just five to seven years ago. And people really taking the time to really engage through the channel they prefer. So if you can believe it, people would check their phones 221 times a day. <laughs> Not so. But not surprised by that in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Take my kids, it's probably 400 times <laughs> right, a day. Right. Same for mine, yes. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, how do we serve information up to people and how do we use it as an opportunity to really get people to engage in their health through wellness programs, but also give them basic information, search, claims information. So there's a lot around that. And then there's also, if you think about sort of data and technology around artificial intelligence and machine learning, how do you know 
how do you predict disease before someone's afflicted? How do you understand how to produce the best outcomes? So the amount of um, information that's being cycled around the system, but being able to capitalize on that is what I really see is kind of going to be the huge trend in the next five years. But there's also something to be said, and you touched on it a moment ago, uh, of the comfort of use uh, of these devices and doing the search in this manner as well. And I'm not just saying that specifically about the younger generations. There is more of a comfort of use by older generations, by the baby boomers and, and beyond, uh, of uh, of using these resources and having trust in these resources. A hundred percent. And the way that in we look at it and the way in my job I look at it is how do you make sure that you make all these different channels available? If somebody wants to call how can they call and make that a positive experience so we resolve their issue but can also engage them in their health and know who you are? So if you're calling me, I know who you are when you call, but there's other things you may like to do on your own, like look up a claim like we talked about or figure out how much you have in your HSA. So how do we make that omni-channel approach available so you can get information when and how and interact when and how you want? And, and I would imagine the dynamics don't necessarily change when you're talking about uh, an individual who may be single without kids in comparison to, uh, you know, a family with kids or a divorced dad or mom with kids in terms of uh, of the need of understanding uh, of this information. It may even be greater, a greater concern, especially if you do have kids. Yeah, absolutely. We know that the majority of decisions for a household are made by Dr. Mom, and Dr. Yeah. Mom is also very busy. I can speak. I have three children myself, and the healthcare decisions reside with me. So how are we cognizant of that so that Dr. Mom now has information when she wants? If she has a sick baby at home, she can use a virtual visit. So, you know, everyone has a need for understanding. When we look at health literacy, if you take four basic terms in healthcare, deductible, copay, co-insurance and premium, only 7% of people can define those terms. So how do you simplify it? And everyone has that need in common. But where we really see a lot of variation is less of the demographic and more where are you in your healthcare journey? Are you healthy and you interact with us with a cold, cough, or flu? Or are you somebody who has acute or chronic condition? I I know we talked a little bit ago uh, uh, Mm -hmm. elements of the technology that obviously has come into healthcare over the last decade or so. But even when you think about the the ease at which the, the traditional practitioner uh, now has by being able to use computer and computer records and and the keeping of those that process I think it has been a a, a a an important transformative moment in the healthcare industry to be able to to have a greater level or an easier level of record keeping. Absolutely. And and it leads to greater accuracy. You're not deciphering people's handwriting. You're making sure that as you change doctors and go across the system, you can see what medications people take. But also technology is really transforming how they can practice medicine. So we have a program, for example, called Pre-Check My Script, where you go to the doctor's office, and before you leave, you make sure that you're getting the most cost-effective medication because it's served up to that provider that is compliant with your formulary, that you're not going to have any issues when you walk out of the doctor's office. So that technology has enabled the patient and the provider to have a more seamless experience, make more cost-effective choices and not have that follow-up afterwards. So it's better for everybody involved. Yeah. And 
and that wasn't available two, three years ago. You may have just uh, touched on a little bit of my next question, but I'll still bring it forward. The best message that you can pass out to consumers in general about where healthcare is going right now? I'd say the best message is get engaged. Pay attention. And there's so many tools and so many programs and so much information. At times, it can be overwhelming. But if you invest a little bit of time and you take advantage of the incentives available to you, you look at the information that's being served up to you, you'll be much less likely to get caught in a gotcha and much more enabled in managing your health and the health of your family. Rebecca, thanks very much for your time today. Enjoy your reunion. Oh, thank you so much. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Rebecca Madsen, Chief Consumer Officer for United Healthcare and also a 1994 Wharton MBA graduate joining us here on our show. Uh, that will take care of what we're going to do for today. But as we mentioned, we will be back with you tomorrow. We're working on a Saturday this week with another edition of Knowledge at Wharton. We will have another edition of Reunion Radio tomorrow live at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific here on Sirius XM 132. Also a reminder that uh, the show can be heard on replay each and every weeknight, 10 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. Pacific, here on Sirius XM 132. Uh, many thanks on the other side of the glass for putting all of this together. Michelle Stucker, Patty Hall, Matt Datz, Dana Cash, all, and, and Dion Simpkins. Thank you very much, yes, for popping his head into the window so I don't forget him. Uh, Danielle Bruno, back after her trip. Looking like she enjoyed overseas. Looking like she may want to retire there at some point in day and age. Great having her back uh, running the board for us today. We will see you Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific, here on Sirius XM 132 with another edition of Reunion Radio here on Knowledge at Wharton. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 